2: Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Steve McLaren to my Mark Warburton. It's Justin Peach.
3: Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? I'm very good, thanks. Yeah, fresh off a win again this morning. I've only lost one game this season, playing Sundays, which is absolutely spectacular. But yeah, it's, it's great. It puts me in a good mood.
2: I tell you what, I love hearing how you've done on a Sunday morning playing football because it's it's better than your weather chat for a start. But it's got. I don't to get, don't get me started eating. on the weather.
3: Woo. No, no.
2: Oh, but you on your Sunday league ventures <laughs> is what's getting me out
3: of bed every Sunday morning, Justin. That's good. It's good. I, I, I almost saw a, pretty much an RKO this morning as well, which is which is absolutely fantastic. Oh. Yeah, it's it's never boring, never dull on a Sunday morning. <laughs> It wouldn't be a Sunday League match without an RKO, would it? <laughs> on the show this week, we've got
2: Carlo van der Warting from the Barnsley podcast. Reg reports. Carlo, how
0: are you? I'm okay. I'm a bit infamiliar with talking about winning feelings, obviously, <laughs> being a Barnsley <laughs> fan. But otherwise, I'm doing great. Yeah, thanks.
2: Good stuff. Also with us is Ben James from the Cardiff podcast, View from the Ninian. I just want to point out that I asked Ben to come on the show before Saturday's game. And <laughs> he deserves a lot of credit for coming on because I wouldn't have blamed him if he didn't. But otherwise,
1: Ben, how are you? Um, yeah let's say not bad um I've kind of you know slept on it tried to get past last night uh, yesterday's game but um yeah yesterday was a, a dismal day so' I'm, I'm optimistic that it can only get better today yeah, yeah, at least you don't have to think about it for very long until we mention yeah. it
3: again
2: in five minutes time. Exactly. Uh, well, welcome to the number one championship specific podcast. He's second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're gonna run through all the games from the championship this weekend, some surprise results, but again, another weekend where there's been gigantic results in terms of the grand scheme of things. So we'll go through all of them, talk about some of the news from the past few days, and then we'll finish off with Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight right at the end. A late equaliser from Josh Laron saw Reading draw one-all away at Barnsley in a massive game in the fight to stay up. Carlo,
0: a decent enough point or two points dropped? Yeah, two points dropped every day of the week and then twice on a Sunday. Um, to be fair, it was, it was it was a shocking match. Two bad sides. Um, Bitter luck. We scored early on. And then, I I don't know, I've lost count how many times we've just lost a match tactically. Done some research. We've lost 10 points by conceding a goal in the 80th minute or later. So, two points against uh, QPR. Point lost against Millwall in the 89th minute. 93rd minute at Coventry. 94th minute versus Stoke. 86th minute at Fulham. And now 82nd minute at Reading. Second half, um, trying to defend the lead. And and I get Poyer coming out saying, uh, we threw Victor one because we wanted to win the match. It's the 89th minute. You're not going to win a match by putting a sub on in the 89th minute when the whole of Oakwell can see that we're sitting deeper and deeper. And Paul Ince must have spoke some you know words of truth in that dressing room because they came out, they were far more up for it with Reading. You expect a substitution early on to change, and you just don't. And and we haven't got much strength from the bench. Um, you know that whatever you put on, yeah, it's just not much quality. Um, but it now it was just shocking. And 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 that was to me the last train. You know, if 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 you've got three points yesterday, you give yourself a fighting chance. You're still playing catch up, but momentum is on your side after the international break. But to go one up and then to equalise, that will feel more like a winter reading than it will a draw to us, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Justin, you talk about fine margins
2: at this stage of the season. Those two points could be massive for Reading, couldn't they?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think we we said it was a must not lose for Reading and a must win for Barnsley. Um, Reading don't need to win six games on the trot. They just need to avoid losing and, and, and keep Barnsley and Derby and Peterborough in, within an arm's distance and showing that level of character and fight that they did they missed a lot of chances in the first half but getting back into the game after season early goal you've got to give that running team a lot of credit because they would have folded weeks ago um so you've got to take your hats off to Paul Lintz, which is not something I thought I'd say at this point um and yeah and credit to the players as well because it's the fight and the grit and the determination to get that point that is that is going to keep that team up which is what you need to do in that situation yeah, Barnsley, five points from safety with this result. Seven games remaining.
2: I'm guessing, Carlo, from what you were just saying, you're not feeling too optimistic at this point or you still think you got a decent chance? Uh,
0: no, um, I don't. And I don't think we deserve it either. Um, I think your, your home form, because you can, you can say, you know, if your glasses are full, well, you know, we, we, our home form is OK. And it is, but it only really counts if you get the points when you need them. And, um, you know, we've got Peterborough to come at home. Ah, well, you know, that's 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 nice. We only tend to, the, the results we picked up when everybody was saying, oh, Bansley doing okay when we get the draw against Fulham and, you know, we beat Middlesbrough, we're against decent footballing sides because that's when we seem to be able to, you know, scrape a result together. So, Um, No, I think a lot of Barnsley fans after yesterday feel that, you know, that was sort of like, you know, the final nail in the coffin. I know mathematically things are still possible, but Reading will get a lift from this as well. And that make that catch-up game so much harder. Uh, There's a couple of sides, I think, that we've both still got to play. But you have to say that momentum's hugely in favour of Reading at the moment. And in fact, Barnsley's now got a fight on not to finish bottom. Um, you know, and 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 compared to last season, I know that was last season, but last season we played Reading about the same time of year, and it was to see who was going potentially in the playoffs. And yesterday was almost a bit of a relegation decider. So uh, it shows you how football can change in the in the short span of twelve months.
3: Yeah.
2: Say the worst does happen and Barnsley get relegated. Have you given much thought about how you'd
0: actually do back in League One next season? Um, I, I think what, what needs to, you know, Barnsley is 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 owned by this consortium. They've just bought a stake in the seventh club. Um, and I'm not against that. You know, it's a business model that they stick to. I think what, what they need to do is, is they need to look where this gone wrong. And to me, you can, uh, I, I don't want to put the finger of blame, but I think there's a few things. The summer transfer periods were shocking. Leia Isaker made a little bit of impact mid-season, but he don't even come off the bench no more. Ulare was bought in as a marquee signing. He featured for 20 minutes and then was shipped out back to Belgium in the January transfer window. Um, the style of play, so we've gone from that sort of attacking, uh, pressing side to, well, I don't even know what our style is at the moment, but that was on request of the board because it says play, there were no bits coming in for players. So I think... If you don't change those things, um, you know, looking at who's buying the players, on, on, on you know how how you decide which players to buy. Keener and Bassi have been really good assets in the January transfer window, but that only offsets the pure, whatever you want to call them, the drabs at the bottom of a barrel that we that we bought in in, in January. So in in the summer, so they they need to just I think made some changes internally. We had a lot of stuff happen last summer with. Ismail leaving, the CEO leaving, secretary leaving, head physio leaving. And that sort of gives you, like, you know, what's going off behind the scenes. And um, if, if things don't change and they just stick to it because they are a business consortium and this is just one of seven clubs, then how does it sound? But I, you, you could potentially go all the way down, straight back down, because if behind the scenes things are not right, then on the pitch, that will always show. And that's the major worry now for Barnsley. So unless we change how they make things or how they want things to work, there's a real, real danger, I think, that you could slip further down next season. I really do. Interesting. Well, let's go over
2: to the South Wales derby. Cardiff nil, swansea 4. The first time either side has done the double in the league in this fixture in 110 years. Ben. I imagine there were a few things that went wrong yesterday but what were the main things that went wrong?
1: Um I think he just got the the, the game plan completely wrong. Um I think you know we we know Swansea are a passing side they they like to get the ball down they like lo- like to knock it around across the back and, and make space that way and we just didn't press them and didn't didn't hurry them in that way and I think you know the 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 team probably picked itself but the big players didn't show up. Um I think we just we just didn't look like a team playing in a derby. Um, you know, you should you should be passionate. You should be fighting for the ball. And we were standing off their players, letting them have the ball and and just kind of effectively letting Swansea play their way and dictate the game. Um, I think we all thought there would be a different approach. You know, derbies are a bit of a sticking point for Cardiff fans. We we never seem to turn up in derbies. This is going back sort of 12, 13 years. Dave Jones, um, it's something that we've been talking about for sort of 15 years now. Um, and it didn't change yesterday. It was just... Uh, a really miserable performance where the big players didn't show up and we just let Swansea dictate the way they played and dictate the ball.
2: It's quite impressive, Justin, that Swansea have been pretty unremarkable this season, but have seemingly saved their best two performances for the two games against Cardiff. Yeah,
3: it's, it is strange, but I think you've got to credit Martin for getting the players up for, for, those, for these types of games. Um, uh, it's a very difficult thing to do in derbies. It is, you know, speaking as a Derby fan... I sympathise with Ben because it feels like Derby haven't turned up for several years in those games as well. And but but from a Swansea perspective, they did their game plan was 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 ideal. It was perfect. Get an early goal, control possession. Um, and as you say, if you don't press against Swansea, then you don't really get results because they're happy to just keep the ball. They're one of those teams which is very pleased, uh, will be very pleased to keep the ball. And they did that, and they were very clinical as well because they didn't create too many more chances than Swansea. They had four shots on target. And scored four goals. It was one of those days for, for someone's in, one of those days, unfortunately, for Cardiff.
2: You'd be glad to know, Ben. We'll leave the game behind for now and look ahead
3: <laughs> to the future.
2: Um, it's an interesting summer ahead for Cardiff, yes. isn't it? How are you
1: feeling about the general future of the club? It's it's a very strange time. I think we're we're looking at a big rebuild. Um, I think it's the kind of phrase that we've 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 talked about a lot on our on our own podcast. And looking at the future, I think there are something like eight players out of contract this summer, um, and all of them you'd say are probably first team players. People like Sean Morrison, Joe Rolls, Aidan Flint, Marlon Pack. Um, we've got five low knees on their way out. Um, so, you know, people like Cody Dramas come in and's been brilliant, but will we keep him? Probably not, because he's shown that he's probably good enough for the Premier League with us. Um, and I think it just it's it's just going to be a big turnover this summer. There are players that we, you know, we we're getting rid of that we we don't see. People like Bakuna and Pack have been completely phased out, so saying saying goodbye to them probably isn't a, a bigger wrench as others. But it's, it feels like a bit of an end of an era for Cardiff. If if people like Sean Morrison and Joe Rolls move on, they've been there sort of seven eight years. Joe Rolls is coming up to ten years and. With the money situation at the moment, we've got a chairman who is quite open about the fact that he's basically putting in a lot of money on a monthly basis to keep the club afloat. We've got a leadership team in people like um, Ken Chu and Mehmet Dalman, who I wouldn't really trust to oversee a rebuild. They don't really have a footballing brain between them um, as much as they, you know, they've been in charge of the club for so long. They don't really understand football on the pitch. Um, and I just think it's, it's a really exciting but also worrying time for the club. Um, we could go into the summer with over half our squad out of contracts with no money to replace them. Um, and I think Steve Morrison's going to have to be very clever and very canny in the transfer market to, to fix that.
2: Yeah, you say it's a worry in time, but everyone might be feeling a little bit more positive if a certain Welshman who's been playing golf <laughs> in Madrid for the last few years decided to come back home. Genuinely, Ben, what do you think the chances are of this
1: actually happening? Because it seems <sighs> to be getting more and more likely... Yeah, I, I have to stop myself getting excited about it because obviously I think what was it 2010-2011 we signed Craig Bellamy on loan from Man City um, that was a time where that looked completely impossible but all of a sudden it happened, it came out of the blue and we, you know, we got him when he was at the peak of his powers. I think the more you think about Bale, there is a logic to it um, You know, he's coming to the end of his contract at Madrid, I don't think he really wants to play high level football anymore, or has a desire he just wants to make sure he's fit for Wales um, he spends a lot of time in Cardiff from, from what I understand, he's flying back almost every week from Madrid to be in Cardiff. He's got two or three businesses in the city, he runs a bar there. He's got a, a new crazy golf place inside, um, indoors. Um, and, you know, when you think about it like that, and the fact he doesn't need any money, he could effectively play for free for six months to keep himself fit if we do qualify for the World Cup. But I think the truth of the matter is, in, until we know what's going to happen with Wales in the World Cup, I don't think Bale's got any... any um inclination to make a decision on that I think if we qualify for the World Cup he needs to keep himself fit and keep his eye in for for the Wales squad but if we don't qualify for the World Cup he could easily retire um and I think that's the the long and short of it really so once we get to June or whenever the rearranged game is because obviously the situation in Ukraine is still developing whenever that game may be I think that will prompt his decision and as much as my head says no my heart is saying it, it could happen and I, I'm quite optimistic that it might happen I would love to see it happen. It would be magical for everyone. Ben and Carlo,
2: thank you for now. We'll return to you both later to play Simon Grayson's Hate Hateful Eight. But me and Justin are now going to go around the grounds. And we'll start with QPR, where, according to the Daily Mail, Mark Warburton is set to be sacked. It's after they lost 2-0 to their West London rivals, Fulham. Charlie Wise is from Talking Rangers. Charlie, first off, how was the game?
4: A severely disappointing afternoon of football for QPR yesterday. Um, In the West London derby, it was kicking a man while he's down yesterday. It was um very hard to take, albeit against a fantastic Fulham side that are flying at the top of the championship. And, and to be perfectly honest, I think after the first goal, you know, Fulham didn't cause us ridiculous problems. Uh, you know, we had a couple of chances, albeit not clear cut, um, but we're so, so toothless in attack. No Chris Willock um, and chair on the bench after being away for international duty. QPR just look a shadow of the side that we've seen this season. Really sad to see us decline the way we have um, and, and simply look out, out of the count in terms of any playoff push. So um, yeah, uh, like I say, not the worst performance, um, but at the same time, um, I think this has sort of surmised and and just reinforced the lack of playoffs for QPR this season now.
2: Well, there were reports on Saturday night that Mark Warburton was set to be sacked as QPR manager. I've seen it be very polarising on Twitter amongst QPR fans over this report. Which side of the fence do you sit on with it, Charlie?
4: After doing a bit more digging, finding out that those sort of reports weren't backed up by some of the more reputable sources around the club, led to believe that they were more fake news Um but I'm sort of the opinion that QPR aren't in a position to be able to attract a manager of better quality um, than Mark Warburton. I still feel as though, you know, there's lots of these reports that Mark Warburton's taking us as far as he can. I don't, I don't believe that. I do not believe that for a second. He was not backed in the in the January window. Um, you can see our squad depth is so weak now. The squad looks so frail um, and, and a real lack of attacking options. You know, you're hurt by Chris Willock out the side. Lillian Dykes only returned yesterday. You know we've had, we've had to bring in two um, emergency goalkeepers. You know the fullbacks has been a problem this year, and I think it's just a lack of an experience of competing at this end of the championship for me and a lot of younger players that haven't done it at this level. Um, and yes, of course, some of the some of the blame does have to fall to Warburton, but at the same time, I don't see us bringing in you know any value to sacking Mark Warburton now. Maybe you can have a think about it and a review of it at come the end of the season, but right now. I feel as though for what we have, the resources in terms of the attractiveness to an external manager, so the funds available, even the manager wage, um, those all put together would not be able to bring in a manager better than Mark Warburton.
2: Yeah. Well, you spoke earlier, Charlie, about QPR's playoff chances. How do you rate them now if you rate them at all?
4: In all honesty, I truly believe now that QPR's playoff hopes have evaporated. They're behind us. Um, and yeah, I just don't think it's a possibility. With our, our current form, the way we're playing, and then you compare that to you know some of the other sides that are coming in and trying to make that playoff push, or they're there above us now. We're ninth in the table. Yes, we've got a game in hand. Yes, we're not a million points off, but sometimes you have to read between the lines, and QPR not in a good position now. No Chris Willock. He's our talisman. Everything goes for him when we're creating chances and creating goals. He's not there. Ilias Chair's out of form. You know, Lyndon Dykes, he's only just come back for one game. You know, how long will he be available for? Andre Gray, Charlie Austin haven't really done enough for me. Just, there's a real lack of attacking threat now on that side. And a lack of experience and a lack of squad depth. And a lack of confidence and self-belief. When you put it all together and I sort of stand back and look at the chances, and I, I just don't think it's possible anymore.
2: Thank you, Charlie. So, yeah, Justin, Mark Warburton potentially heading out of the door at QPR. I will emphasise that these are just reports at the moment. There's Mm -hmm. still a chance that it won't happen. And at the time of recording, nothing has happened. So I'm not really sure what to make of these reports at the moment. But um, say Warburton does get sacked, Justin, what would you make of that decision?
3: It's a head over heart thing, I think. Um, Your head saying, yes, it all makes sense, the run of form... Is sackable for any Championship manager when you take it out of context, but when you put it in context, I think it would be quite quite a harsh sacking. Obviously, what Warburton has done with this team um, over his tenure, he's developed players, he's developed a team, and he's and he's made them into almost relegation fodder. He's turned them from relegation fodder into into playoff candidates, which I think is quite a, a remarkable remarkable steps on on a restricted budget. You know, he's really had to beg, borrow, and steal at times, and it's only recently where QPR have started to overcome. You know, budget issues, you know, being able to bring in the likes of Lyndon Dykes for a fee and, and Charlie Ossing, what have you. So the, 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 it would be harsh in that sense. And it, you've got to look at the squad as well. The squad is quite thin in, in in places. You look at taking Chris Willick out. What can they do without Chris Willick? Uh, they've got a life chair, but still they need creativity in other areas. So I think it would be harsh, but at the same time, it wouldn't be a surprise.
2: I would say the timing of it would be very strange. Doing it with seven games remaining... I struggled to see yeah. what they'd actually be trying to achieve, whether they still think they'd be able to get in the playoffs and whether it'd be mm-hmm. la- one last roll of the dice. I'm not too sure. If they did it at the end of the season, then I'd probably understand because it would be looking at it and saying, right, we need a change of a new set of eyes looking at the club yeah. is probably a better way of saying it. Because I do think QPR have somewhat underachieved this season. I think just about everyone had them down as finishing in the playoffs mm-hmm. this season and that's looking like it's not going to happen now I think Warburton has you know been hindered by having um, a lack of depth in certain areas of the squad but he hasn't helped himself with a lack of a plan b and um, finding yeah. a way to yeah. play without chair or willock and certain players being picked in the team who just don't really seem to deserve their place in the team so um I would understand it if they got rid of him at the end of the season because I think as I've said previously I don't see him being able to get a side over the line and promoted to the Premier League he's done great to get them to the dance and I think he is that kind of manager where you can take them from you know being nothing in the championship quite frankly and then getting them in the right direction I think he's great at doing that but actually getting to them to the Premier League I think they would need a new manager for that yeah. so timing strange but i would kind of understand it to an extent. But he has done a great job in the three seasons he's been there, hasn't he? And look, mm-hmm. we're talking like he has been sacked. As we say, he might not actually be sacked, but the reports are saying he is set to be. Um But looking on it in reflection, he has done a great job in those three years, hasn't he?
3: Absolutely has. I think I said he's turned them from relegation fodder under. Into- um, when it was when they were under Steve McLaren and he's yeah he's, he's progressed them and, and turned them into playoff candidates, which in the space of three years is, is a very difficult thing to do. Um, you look at the the players that progressed under him, Eberechi Easy, for example is such a good such a good talent when he was at QPR, but that's down to Warburton's coaching and belief in in that player. Luke Amos has come on in leaps and bounds since his return from his ACN injury this season, um, and you look at other players like Chris Willock who was at a crossroads in his career when he joined QPR and now look at him he's one of the when he, when, he, when he's fit he's one of the best performing players in the league Elias Chair was a, was a serial underperformer and he's turned him into again a consistent player um, so you've got to credit Mark Warburton in, in, in that respect and, and as I say it, it would be harsh and it would be sad to see him go but if QPR do want to make that next step maybe they have to look elsewhere and he's done it on a budget as well, Justin. Yeah. I remember earlier in the season when QPR were
2: sat third and they were around the likes of Fulham, Bournemouth, West Brom, all have much bigger budgets than QPR and the amount of money spent on their squad compared to those other teams is, it doesn't even compare really, does it? And you're quite right, mm-hmm. the players he's developed in that time, Rob Dickey's another one as well, and he? he looks like a Premier yeah. League defender now, has had a few minor moments in this season where he, he's looked a bit um debatable but um, either way he's a quality player but all the players you've just listed there have benefited so much from warburton's coaching and taking qpr from 19th to the edge of the playoffs deserves applause in any way shape or form doesn't it so if qpr did sack warburton it'd be interesting to see where they went from here because are they seeing it as one last roll of the dice that's the only way I can assume they can justify the sacking and who they'll get in, I've absolutely no idea. There aren't a plethora of options out there at the moment. So there maybe a man who won promotion with them 11 years ago.
0: Well,
2: <laughs> That's the only person who comes to mind.
3: <laughs> you're quite right, isn't it? It's, it does get quite funny, doesn't it? Um, the fact that we, We'd link Neil Warnock with every job. <laughs> but well, he how can,
2: often, it, Justin, how often has it got to this stage of the season and someone's <laughs> thought, right, pushing the Warnock button?
3: Yeah, it's the Warner button, isn't it? It's is the nuclear option because he can keep a team up, and he can certainly see a team over the line um, if needed. And they might they might revert to a friendly face in Neil Warnock. He knows the he knows the owners, he knows the management team in Les Ferdinand and, and Chris Ramsey. So yeah, it wouldn't be a surprise if they go that way if, if Warburton was to go. Um, whether or not they have a long term plan, I, I don't know. Maybe even giving it John uses till the end of the season will be will be the step that they go in. I remember when John Eustace
2: was caretaker manager a few seasons ago and he wasn't the most successful. So I'm not mm. sure how how well that would look <laughs> be looked upon by QPR fans, but wait and see on whether Warburton is actually sacked at all. But it's another win for Fulham as they storm back towards the Premier League. If my calculations are correct, which they probably aren't, but it looks as if they could be officially promoted in two weeks' time away at Derby. It's been a matter of when not if for a while hasn't it um, mm-hmm. but that's when I think it will be uh, Mitrovic got two goals here his goal drought of three games is now over he's on 37 for the season just needs five more to equal Guy Whittingham's modern day championship record eight games left should be doable at least it's something for us to keep track about with a uh, Fulham for the remainder of the season and actually talk about with them mm. Um on Saturday lunchtime Forest won 4-1 away at Blackpool and I thought Forest were absolutely electric here, Justin.
3: They were absolutely on fire. It was an incredible performance because if you're going to pay a bigger compliment to to, to Blackpool, they haven't been beaten like this this season. They haven't been wiped the floor with, essentially. Forest were just clinical, creative, they were aggressive. It was such a good game um, from a Forest perspective. And I think it's one of those results and performances that makes... Uh, other playoff chasers stand up and go, they're they're in the fight, they're, they're in this. And as well as that, it gives everybody belief needed, I think, at Forest to say, we can do this.
2: Yeah, Forrest, people will say that, so what, it's Blackpool. But Blackpool are a very good side, a very stubborn side, aren't they? And- very
3: defensively good as
2: well. Yeah, and Forrest looks levels above them here. Every player was at least a 7 out of 10. People will be very surprised to hear that Brennan Johnson is a very good player. He's got two. It's scary how... He seems to be getting better at a staggeringly fast rate. And he's been in brilliant form throughout the season, but he just seems to find an extra gear every time. So he's a marvellous player. Mm -hmm. Worrell and McKenna, both rock solid at the back. Scott McKenna was ruled out for at least a month, two weeks ago with a hamstring injury. (laughs) And he was playing here, so very strange. But Forrest solidifying their playoff status, considering they've got games in hand as well on just about all the teams up there. They look a sure
3: bet for the top six at this point, don't they? Spot on because I think you've said it before is how, how are Forrest not in the playoffs already? They, they, they just have been so consistent since Steve Cooper took charge at no point under Steve Cooper. I think there's tiny little wobble, literally millimeter wobble um, in January where they, I think they lost back to back games, um, but they have bounced back since then. they just, just at no point under Steve Cooper, have they looked unconvincing at all. They've been so consistent, so good going forwards Um it will be hard to see them not getting into the playoffs. To be honest with you, really, really hard to see it.
2: Yeah, they've only lost four games since Cooper took over,
3: and I can't even Fulham, remember them. No,
2: and I only <laughs> Fulham have won more points than Forest since Steve Cooper took over. Imagine if they had him at the start of the season. You'd, <laughs> you'd have thought they'd been in, in around the top two, wouldn't you? But, but mm. they're just an amazing side. I and mean, when you've got someone like Brennan Johnson, who's somehow managing to step up his game every week, that makes you dangerous in itself. But the rest of the Forest side is also getting better and better when you're an opposition manager you've got to try and nullify so many different threats such as Johnson for example or Garner Spence you know Davis what how do you try and deal with that I just don't have a clue and it must be an absolute nightmare and that's keeping managers up all night so right now I'd make them favorite for the playoffs I think it was between them and Sheffield United before but I'm seeing more from Forrest at the moment and as I say they seem to keep getting better and better you wouldn't want to come up against them would you in no. the playoffs whether it's the semis or the final they're just a solid unit with talented individuals and with Steve Cooper in charge I think he'll also have learned from his past two failures in the playoffs as well and go one better mm-hmm. this time around. Bournemouth came from a goal down to beat Bristol City 3-2 there was the early scare for the Cherries but
3: eventually they turned it on and looked good here didn't they Justin? Yeah it was an example of the individual quality they've got um, I know some of the goals were very well worked but I think if you just take the goals in isolation, for example, Dembélé's third was just magic. The way he just dances mm. through the Bristol City team—I know Bristol City aren't the best defensively—but he made them look. I don't. Can you remember the, the, the videos of Robin van Persie playing against all them school kids? Um, and I think Sun <laughs> as well. It looked like that. It was. It was quite incredible, which I think is quite an indictment on Bristol City's defending as well. But yeah, Dembélé made him look like mugs, and it was just the amount of quality on show here from a Bournemouth perspective yeah it just just it shows everybody that they're a team with with plenty of it um and yeah again it's hard to see them dropping out of that um, top 2 race now yeah lewis cook was marvelous in the mm-hmm. middle of the park got his first goal in quite some time as well
2: not sure how it actually went in but he scored nonetheless <laughs> prior to the international break bournemouth had a few poor performances that made it look as if the pressure might be getting to them but this was one which seem to indicate the opposite of that. And so this is it, Justin. Their final nine games. This is the final nine games that we've <laughs> been hyping up for a number of months. Eight of these final nine games are against sides in the top half of the table. They're six points clear with three games in hand on some teams. It will take a pretty
3: monstrous collapse for them not to get promoted at this point, but it can't be ruled out, can it? It can't. It's a championship. And I think... Obviously, Luton dropping points this weekend helped them a, a little bit because they were a team that you could have said, okay, maybe they can, they can put the pressure on Bournemouth a little bit. And obviously, Huddersfield dropping points before the international break again gave Bournemouth probably that, um, that persona, that, that ability to relax a little bit, be a little bit more confident, which is why perhaps they could uh, they, they they played the way they did, the, the individual quality that was on show against Bristol City. So yeah, it, they could they could drop off. It'd be very difficult to see them doing it because a bit like Reading, they don't have to. Win every game. They can they can afford to drop some points. So I think it's just a case of being resolute defensively and relying on then individuals to carry over the line.
2: Yeah, they've been massively helped by the fact that there aren't that many teams who are seemingly challenging them for the top mm-hmm. two. Maybe Forest, because they have got games in hand as well. I suppose, but apart from that, you're struggling, aren't you? their fixture list is ultimately against nearly all sides in the top half of the championship. If they don't comfortably get promoted by winning most of those games, then you've got to ask questions about how they're going to do when they're playing sides which are at least a level above every Mm. single week next season in the Premier League. So I think this is a set of games that is not just about getting promotion over the line. It's also about seeing how they'll cope playing against top opposition Week sure. in yeah. and week out. So I think Scott Parker will probably be keeping an eye on which players are able to cope with that ahead of next season in this uh, next run of games as well. So um, quickly on Bristol City, I don't think many were expecting a result here, but a decent enough effort from them.
3: Yeah, but it's the same old Bristol City, isn't it? 28 points dropped from winning positions now. They took the lead through through Atkinson and they weren't able to hold on to it. Defensively, they've got to really get sorted this summer because that's cost them a place in the playoffs essentially 28 points is a lot of points um, and as I say it's, it's cost them a place in, in the playoffs and having a, a, po- a more positive season than they have I don't know if you can call it a positive season this season
2: hmm. let's have a break just enough after that we'll talk about a win for Huddersfield and a win for Stoke Welcome back to the second tier podcast. And so a late winner from Harry Toffolo saw Huddersfield win 1-0 away at Hull on Friday night. A lot of refereeing decisions here. Hull played the second half of 10 men after Tommy Eves was sent off just before half time I liked how Tom Eves ran off after committing the uh, <laughs> one that got the, the tackle that got him sent off it was two yellows um, and he was halfway across the pitch by the time the referee actually gave him the red but um, it was it was a funny attempt nonetheless um, the big talking points were really Huddersfield's two penalty shouts which were turned down and they looked debatable to say the very least Justin.
3: I think they were 50-50, um, but I don't think it matters too much because they're able to come away with the win. Um, yeah. So obviously, if, if Huddersfield, the game finishes nil-nil, then you, you do start to talk about them a little, a little bit more. But I mean, there were, there were still quite a lot of refereeing decisions that were quite questionable this weekend. And it's not the best way to kickstart the weekend with two debatable penalty, penalty shouts. But it's one of those, there were two that were, as you say, very debatable, could have been given, Couldn't. might not have been given. Mm.
2: It was beginning to look like it was going to be a frustrating night for Carlos Coburn's boys until Harry Toffolo scrambled the ball home late on. Considering Huddersfield were woeful in their last two games and they've got three tricky games coming up, it doesn't matter how they get the points on the board, does it? They just needed a win here, didn't they?
3: Well, yeah, I think I said... Um in the preview episode that I think Huddersfield just needed a really good performance and this was more more like what Huddersfield were good at. They were very good defensively. I think um, Lee Nichols only had one one save to make. holding didn't create too much. Obviously helps them going down to 10 men but they managed the game really well uh, as well and they did what they were very good at. They kept opposition out and, uh, and got a goal in we were a very difficult team to, to break down once they go ahead so yeah it was really good game management and, Carlos and I think that it was one of those games where they were back to what they were doing really well and they created a lot of chances just a shame they weren't clinical enough I think they sorely missed
2: Danny Ward up top they had Jordan mm-hmm. Rhodes and he didn't really help with the link up play at all and he really struggled so hopefully Ward will be back soon Dwayne Holmes was fairly <laughs> ineffective as well so despite having played more games than most teams trying to get in the playoffs Huddersfield's fate is in their own hands and that's a good position to be in isn't it they desperately need yeah. to up their game against Luton a week on Monday though because these next three games are massive and essentially season defining in my view um, because they are playing teams who are also mm-hmm. chasing the playoffs uh, anything on Hull from this game Just it's quite hard to really say anything about them when they've been down to 10 men for half the game
3: yeah, they need to sort the home form out. I think they do. They they play a lot better when they're on a counter attack, um, which is why they've won more points away from home under Arbelazi. So, yeah, getting that home form sorted, I think, is is a major major thing to look at in the summer because home your home games where you pick up points you can't rely on your way games.
2: Stoke one, Sheffield United nil. A bit of a surprise result this, but Sheffield United were really not at the races at all, were they?
3: No, it was a surprising display. Again, it was one of the results I saw come in, and really surprised that. I mean, you sort of understand why it was a low-scoring game because both teams are missing players. But um, yeah, really disappointing performance from Sheffield United, and a really good performance from Stoke City. But as far as fair, as far as it goes for Sheffield United. You know, these are the sort of games that you need to pick up points in if you're really serious about finishing in the playoffs. And unfortunately, they've had a little bit of complacency, or maybe not complacency. It's a bit harsh, but inconsistency creep into their performances of late. Well, they gave
2: young Daniel
3: Jebberson a go up front.
2: Someone I've been calling. For to have a game but it didn't really work and I think they really missed Billy Sharp which I suppose says a lot about how good he still is despite getting on a bit now but they Mm -hmm. they had players back from injury here as well they had Bulldog, Fleck, Davis but overall it was a pretty disappointing showing from a Sheffield United side who we all know are a lot better than that Um, and they were really one of the big losers from this weekend. Them Mm -hmm. and QPR were the only playoff chasing sides to lose so they've lost a lot of ground on the teams around them. Speaking of QPR though, that's who they've got in midweek and that needs to be a win, doesn't it, for the Blades?
3: Yeah, you're spot on, I think. If QPR pick up a win, it'll probably be quite difficult for Sheffield United to get into the playoffs given that Middlesbrough and Forest are, are banging form at the moment. Um, so yeah, it is, it is a massive, massive game for for, um, for Sheffield United and probably more so than it is for QPR because I say, QPR have really, really drifted down the table. But yeah, for Sheffield United, it's getting players back fit, but you've got to really manage them. You're talking about Billy Sharp and missing Billy Sharp. You know, he's got a hamstring, he had a hamstring injury, um, which for a 36-year-old is, is could, could be season-ending if it gets worse. So, yeah, finding a way to get results without the main man um, is, is another thing that hickenbop has got to sort out. Just as,
2: as he was getting pelters from all over the place, Michael O'Neill pulls out two straight wins against playoff-chasing <laughs> sides as well. Uh, Josh Tymon was great, wasn't he? I think he was probably man of the match from a Stoke perspective and we've had a few Stoke fans asking us where we rank Tymon amongst the best left backs in the division what are your thoughts Justin?
3: Yeah left back's a weird position isn't it because I think we always struggle to um, talk about consistent left backs but Josh Tyman certainly is certainly is up there and, and probably one of those that has gone under the radar quite a bit mainly because of how inconsistent Stoke have been but I think Josh Tymon this season has probably been Stoke's most, most consistent player. Um, and when you're talking about consistency, you know Harry, Harry Toffolo I think sets the bar in terms of consistency from left wing backs. But Josh Tymon, such a good crosser of the ball. Um, he's probably more, uh, from my my opinion anyway, he's much better as a left wing back in a with a back three than he is a, a left full back um, because then he's got the freedom of the the left flank. But yeah, he's, he's a player that I rate quite highly. in... A bit of a breakout season for him, I think, which is which is a massive positive. He's been at Stoke for a while without really being given an opportunity, so I'm glad he's finally got it.
2: Yeah, completely agree. He looks a really classy player and someone I agree with what you were saying about his consistency when Stoke have not been playing especially well in the latter half of the season. Tymon's been really good still throughout that, so I think he'll be a really important player for them next season as well. Just finally on this game, it was stopped after referee David Webb was hit in the face with the ball. It was very, very funny. Middlesbrough put reassurances on their away form by smashing Peterborough 4-0. The scoreline perhaps a bit harsh on Peterborough, and I think Chris Wilder even admitted so after the game. Who, Because Peterborough were just by no means terrible, but Middlesbrough <laughs> looked really, really good here, didn't they? Duncan Watmore had one of those games where he was excellent. They only happen once every 10 or so games, but when it does, <laughs> he is electric. Marcus Tavernier scored a lovely goal following Balogun. Has scored three goals in five league games now, so he's finally found his feet as well. So after a slight dip, Middlesbrough starting to look good again, aren't they?
3: Yeah, it's, it's two back-to-back clean sheets away from home, and the away games is is where you were putting question marks down on their playoff capabilities, um, because yeah, they they were quite they got quite poor away from home. But two wins, six goals, two clean sheets in the last two away games is a massive, massive confidence boost, I think, for for Wada and, and Burrow. and I think as well getting players like on the score sheet they were clinical here obviously didn't have to create a lot of chances a shed of chances like they normally do but they put the ball in the back of the net four times which again hasn't happened often at all for Borough this season against no. Derby.
2: No. a great start to the final run in for Middlesbrough then Peterborough had regained a slim hope of staying up after beating QPR just before the international break but I'd say that's now been fully dashed hasn't
3: it yeah, just, just about. And again, it's just a manner of defeat. Four goals, again, it, it is one of those kick-in-the-stomach things, especially if the performance didn't warrant four goals. But it, you just know when it looks against you, it's against you. And they 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 were unfortunate at times. Obviously, Borough did, did work them open quite often. But yeah, I think that just rules them out um, of staying up for me.
2: Yeah, they've certainly looked a lot better under Grant McCann, though, haven't they? They're Massively. being more competitive in games and players who Darren Ferguson couldn't get a tune-out of this season have been more lively and effective. So plenty of positives for Grant McCann, despite them looking inevitably on their way to League One again. A 99th-minute equaliser from Victor Yoccares saw Coventry draw one-all at home to Blackburn. Tony Mowbray was absolutely fuming about the amount of time added on. Six added minutes were given, and then the referee ended up playing four on top of that. It was because of a pitch invader and injuries as well. Mark Robbins said the Blackburn players were rolling around and that's where the added time came from. So whose side are you on here, Justin?
3: I I think, it's okay, so as a neutral, I'll say it's a minimum added time. It's fine. But as a fan, I'll be like, the referee is is not on. That's not on. You've, you've got to blow your whistle four minutes at a time. You blow your whistle on four minutes. But that isn't the case, is it? You know, if we if we think rationally, that is not the case. So I think I'm on the, I'm on the side of the referee here. Not on, not on Coventry or Blackburn. I'm on the side of the referee fair enough. Just quickly, actually, can
2: we stop with this pitch invasion nonsense? It's it happened nonsense. in the Coventry game. I, I, Justin, I don't get why it keeps happening, but there were at least two this weekend, from what I saw, mm-hmm. in the Championship alone, and it just seems to be happening a lot over the past few weeks. I, I struggle to understand why anyone would do it in the first place. I kind of get it when a goal is scored, even though I wouldn't do it myself. Um, but the ones that are happening at the moment are just when the games are being played, and mm-hmm. It's pointless. I can only assume it's people who just want to tell their mates in the pub about it afterwards, but Mm -hmm. come on now, grow up. Um... Where were we? Back to the game. A very funny own goal by <laughs> Harry Pickering in this one. A four out of ten in the crisp brass scale of kick and ball into your own face and into the goal. Bradley Dack with his first goal since coming back from injury. That was a nice moment. But the story of the match was Coventry and another late goal, which they're the kings of, aren't they? The ninth time this season they've scored in injury time. Only Forrest come close with eight. They just find a way, don't they, in the 90th minute, seemingly every time.
3: Well, when you've got your striker who's caught the goal celebrating by tapping his wrist, um, emulating it on time, it is a bit of a piss take. But I think that is actually a really good indictment as to where Coventry are at the moment because they've clearly got the quality. There's enough quality to get into these games, but there's just quite not enough quality to, to get ahead or, or see them out. So I think they only need a little bit adding into that team um, and they could become serious top six challenges next season.
2: For Blackburn, though, it's just two wins in 12. This will
3: definitely go down as points dropped again, won't mm-hmm. it, for Rovers? Yeah, it's, it's game management, isn't it? I don't know. I mean, it's very difficult to see. Coventry a difficult side to judge in, in that sense because of how many goals they're scoring at a time, but you manage the game in the, in the way they manage the game and obviously the added-on time didn't help, but you keep your heads, don't you, and you keep your concentration and they fell asleep with that with that header at the back post. Definitely. Luton 2,
2: Millwall 2. Luton coming from losing positions twice to snatch a point here. Jake Cooper scoring an 87th minute own goal for the Hatters. A, a good game, actually, between two sides. Still very much fixated with the playoffs and a point, sheet, point each. Not a bad result by any means for both, although Millwall will probably be disappointed considering they were leading twice. But Nick Frobe, he's got three goals in two games now and he's having a decent enough season, isn't he? He's had a few niggling injuries, but nine goals in 27 starts. Not a bad return by any means, is it? And considering the number of strikers Millwall have had through the door over the past few years, it's a season of progress for them, isn't
3: it? He's probably been the most convincing striker they've had in a while. Obviously, Matt Smith was a, a useful um, option off the bench. But yeah, by I think... He'll be he'll be a very popular man in the summer. Uh, once again, there'll be a lot of teams queuing up for him because he's shown that when he's fit, he scores goals. He's composed. He's, he's finished against Luton was, uh, wasn't he? Diff- most difficult finish, but he had the composure to slot it in the in the, the back of the net, and obviously, being in the right position as well. So yeah, he's, he's, he's a good striker, and I think very he'll be yeah his phone his phone will be busy uh, in the summer.
2: Millwall's final run. Very interesting, Justin. Many will think that they're probably too far off the playoff race now, but they don't play a side in the top half in their next six games. And that includes Peterborough and Barnsley at home. So still got a chance. Definitely still still within a arm's reach. And then Luton still looking good for the top six as well. A lot of teams around them won, which isn't ideal, but still looking healthy for now. A late winner for Ravel Morrison saw Derby beat Preston 1-0. A tense game this. It got a bit argy-bargy at times with both teams having a man sent off. Max Bird was one of them after a horrible tackle at the start of the second half. Derby needed this window, didn't they? Because if they didn't get it, that was probably about it for their hopes of staying up.
3: Yeah, spot on. Um, and again, they... they... They, they kept fighting for the for the winner fair play to him but I just don't think they were quite good enough to to break a very stubborn pressing team down. They didn't create too many clear cut chances. There was a couple of shots from distance. Um but they could have done a lot more. Uh, but again you've got to give credit to to, to Wayne Rooney and the players for to, to carry on going. And I think Ravel Morrison again has been he's gone he's gone at the radar. He's been absolutely monumental in, in, in the last few weeks. He's got four and five now I think which is uh, incredible and I think Derby as well setting a trend for being able to beat 10 men is go down to 10 men yourself because that's twice now that they've done that let keep it even six points from
2: safety with six games remaining Derby... You'd have thought well, will need at least two home wins and an improvement in their waveform if they're actually going to pull off the great escape. They have got Fulham at some point at home as well, which is not ideal. Mm. And the final game of the weekend was a West Midlands derby between Birmingham and West Brom. Not much to play for this except for local pride. And to give us the lowdown on how it went, here's Justin Peach from the future.
3: Ooh, this is just in from the future and it really was a poor game between Birmingham City and West Bromwich Albion in which there was just a total of 11 shots throughout the game. But Birmingham would deserve winners with Lyle Taylor scoring from the penalty spot in his 67th minute and they proved to be a stubborn side for West Brom to break down. West Brom really struggled to get into the flow of things with the likes of Townsend and Furlong struggling and Colin Grant and Robinson failing to create any combinations going forward as well. Birmingham at their very stubborn best under Lee Bowyer and again a very good performance which should prove as a building block for Birmingham City going into the final few weeks of the season
2: Thank you Justin from the future and now it's time for this it's time for the news and Telegraph says Mike Ashley remains very interested in completing a takeover of Derby, despite apparently having no contact with the club's administrators in two months. Well, it comes as the administrators say they're still not in a position to name a preferred bidder, shock. They also say they're disappointed by so-called attempts by some parties to delay and undermine the process. They've stressed that delays in identifying the preferred bidder are out of their control. Thoughts, please, from Justin Peach.
3: I oh, got. I hate this part of the show where we talk about Derby's failed takeovers. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's complete nonsense. If you read that statement, it's it's a very um, it's very vague. They say what they they say a lot without saying anything in pretty much every statement. Um, and they, uh, again, they they point they point the finger at supporters and threaten supporters at the end of the statement. It's not it's not good at all. They're still making money on a process that they said would be done by the end of January. Um And, yeah, I think I could summarise it like this. Quantuma, bad, Derby, perilous. Please hurry up.
2: You say they're making money. They're making millions of pounds as well, aren't they? The longer this yeah. gets dragged out, they're making even more money. And it's so incredibly frustrating. And the, the worry is, if this keeps getting dragged out longer and longer, then who's to say that the parties interested in buying Derby won't just well, toddle off elsewhere exactly. and say, right, you're taking the mickey here now so we're not interested anymore and if that happens derby are dead aren't they and that's a real possibility at the moment uh the sun says derby city council could buy pride park and lease it to a potential new owner. Of course, the stadium is owned by former owner Mel Morris, and that's been a stumbling block in takeover talks because Morris is reportedly wanting £22 for the ground, so you'd hoped that would get one stumbling block out of the way. And final word on Derby, it's likely that they'll have to play pre-season this summer in their training kit. It's because their actual kit is unlikely to arrive on time, so that's good news, isn't it? Preston say they're not engaged with any party regarding a takeover and that no offer matching the previously agreed price to purchase the club has been met excuse me it's after the death of former owner trevor, trevor hemmings in february the club has received inquiries from would-be buyers since his passing however their statements now confirms that a period of exclusivity with one party ended without a concrete offer we know that american businessman chris kirchner was
3: interested in buying the club justin anything to add yeah um Oh well, Yeah, he's all talk, isn't he? Um, I think I can be very, very blunt. He's been all talk about the derby process. He's been all talk about this one as well. Um, And he's, yeah, he's clearly not the man people think, or he's led people to believe he is. Simple. All right, then. There you go. Sorry, Chris.
2: Uh, Sticking with Preston, their goalkeeper, Declan Rudd, has been forced to retire at the age of 31 due to a knee injury. I was quite shocked by this, Justin. He did play... Mm. A handful of games earlier this season, but I didn't realise how serious this injury was. And it's just simply too early for a career to end, isn't it? West Brom have issued a lifetime ban to a fan after he made monkey gestures at another supporter. 36-year-old Neil Granger did it during the game against Birmingham last year. He's also been banned from all football games for three years and has been ordered to pay nearly £1,500. Worth saying, it was reported to police during the game and he was arrested there and then. So if you ever see anything like this happening, report it. Make sure they get caught. Sticking with West Brom, Darrell D K is likely to miss the rest of the season with injury. He's been out since he made his first start for them, joined for seven million quid in January and has played just 84 minutes for them, Justin. Pretty much summarises their luck this season,
3: doesn't it? Yeah, spot on, and he could well be off to uh, to Tas in the summer to join up with uh, um, Ishmael. So, yeah, it could be a short stay, but hopefully, hopefully it isn't because he's a talented player, and I do feel for him because he was such an exciting, exciting player last season for Barnsley. Absolutely. And finally, Championship Clubs spent £44
2: million on agent fees between February last year and the end of January this year. Nearly a quarter of that money was spent by Fulham alone, who spent £10 million. Second was West Brom with just over £4 million, Sheffield United £3.5 million. Hull spent the least with less than a quarter of a million, then Peterborough, then Blackpool. Um, I don't know if you saw this, Justin. Does it raise any eyebrows for you?
3: No, uh, I think every time these fees come out, I think everybody says the same thing. Oh, money's not staying in football and all that. And that's that. Yeah, absolutely spot on. But it's something that you can't control. It's an unregulated industry agent. So you, look, you just look at Mino Raiola, for example, and the money he demanded for Pogba. Um, it's something that needs tightening from the, the powers that be, obviously. But yeah, it's 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 frustrating that the money doesn't stay in the game. But that's, that's unfortunately the, the, the world we live in at the moment Mm,
2: it absolutely is right now it's time for the polls this is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on all things to do with the championship so the first question we asked was this firstly Mark Warburton's reportedly about to be sacked by QPR what do you think of it harsh or
3: deserved Uh, I'm I'm on the fence I'm I'm just somewhere in the middle Um, again his form sackable isn't it Um, but he's yeah he's a good coach so yeah it's really hard to we hard to make a decision on that 81% of people
2: said harsh 19% said deserved what is the biggest derby outside the premier league blackpool v preston cardiff v swansea derby v forest sheffield united v sheffield wednesday
3: ah uh, i'd argue derby forest because i'm a derby fan but recent years it's just dwindled a little bit um so maybe maybe sheffield united sheffield wednesday of people said Blackpool v. Preston. 25% said
2: Cardiff v. Swansea. 26% said Sheffield United v. Wednesday. And 42% said Derby v. Forest. So the strong winners there. And finally, which are there more of in the world? Buildings or people?
3: People? What a silly question.
2: See, 83% of people said people. 17% said buildings. But I think that's completely wrong, right? Think about... Garden sheds, for example, they count as buildings. Think about how many office blocks are in a city that don't always have people in them. Think about the numbers of vacant housing, just buildings in general, in, you know, parks or what have you. No. Surely, but it's
3: got to be buildings, hasn't it? Well, I I have three of us siblings, so there's there's four of us, and there's a mum and a dad. Garages? There's six people in one household. So, no, you've had a mayor there, Ryan.
2: have a proper think about it, right I think <laughs> once you've had a proper think about it you'll realize you are completely and utterly wrong no, um, no. did I read out the results of the poll? No I did yeah, didn't I? Said, yeah, yeah I, did, did. I did I did I have a hobby of uh, sometimes just not reading out the results to the poll which makes it completely <laughs> passion, pointless we? but I did <laughs> it on this point uh, right now it's time for this Hi
0: Simon Grayson Edge.
2: So it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show. Ben James from the Cardiff podcast, View from the Ninian, and Carlo van der Watering from the Barnsley podcast, Reds Report. So I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. All they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say, name the top eight goal scorers in championship history, and Ben would say Billy Sharp, that's one down, and Carlo would say Dave Nugent, that's another down. But if Justin would say Connor Salmon, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, chaps, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. So Kevin Phillips was a good player, wasn't he? 194 goals in just over 500 games. He's got literally no connection to Barnsley or Cardiff. But can you name me the last eight clubs he's played for? Emphasis on last eight. Okay, warned you. Right, um, so we'll go to Carlo first, who's got his head in his hands. Carlo, can you name me a club that Kevin Phillips has played for in his last eight? (laughs)
0: There's only one or two I can remember. Blackpool?
2: Absolutely. One promotion with them in 2012. That was his
1: third last club, if that helps at all. Ben, your go. Um, I don't even know this is right, but I, th- I think he played for Leicester. He
2: absolutely did. That was his last club. He spent half a season there just in Peach.
3: Yeah, he went on a promotion tour, didn't he? Because um, he, <laughs> he went to Blackpool in between Leicester and Palace.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Got them promoted after scoring a penalty in the playoff final, Crystal Palace. So you've named his last three. It's Carlo's turn to guess the next five after that.
0: <laughs> it's funny this because we t- we, t- we talked about Kevin Phillips not long ago on ours. Um, he did th- three clubs in the Midlands, West Brom being one of them.
2: He absolutely did. Two seasons at the Albion, and scoring 38 in two seasons.
1: It's not a bad tally, is it? Ben, your go. Oh, This is where I'm struggling. If you said teams in the Midlands, um, I'm going to have to just take a guess at Birmingham.
2: Absolutely right. Spent three seasons at Blues, scoring plenty of goals in that time. So you've named his most recent five. You've got three remaining. Justin, it's your go.
3: He had a really underwhelming spell with Villa.
2: He absolutely did. That was the one I would have forgotten if we, if I was involved. Oh, yeah, in I didn't this. know that. One season, <laughs> yeah, completely passed me by. So that's absolutely right. You've got two go, two to go. It's three if you're still in. I think you're probably going to get this, Carlo.
0: Sunderland. But I don't know if that's one of his last last ones. Hmm.
2: It was his eighth most recent oh, club. So you're absolutely right. A legend there. Scored goals for fun. I think he won the go- Golden Boob really. on season, didn't he, as well? So you've got one remaining. Ben James, do you know who it is? Um, well, sundown was going to be my
1: guest, so now I'm a bit stuck. That's um, So, wow, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would have done the same to you, so um, don't apologise. Um, I'm going to have... I don't even know. I'm going to have a guess at Watford.
2: Watford was his first club, not in his last day. So, you're not completely you, yeah. wrong, but for the for the, yeah, you were wrong. And so <laughs> in this account, you've got two remaining. I, I I thought you would have all got this, but now I'm not sure. Unless Justin knows it,
3: we've got two remaining.
2: One remaining. Sorry.
3: Oh God, I was going to say. Um, yeah, I know. I know which. I know. I know who it is because um, Derby fans played uh, Sunderland when they came down and chanted about him to uh, rub it in their faces. And he, he went to Southampton. He absolutely did. I wonder where you oh, were going with cool, that. Yeah. Southampton's the final one.
2: I remember him and Peter Crouch having a really good partnership there. So you've won Sam and Grayson's Hateful Eight.
0: Well done, gentlemen. How do you feel, Carlo? Well, as a Basley <laughs> fan, we don't win much. So I'll I'll, I'll take this for the <laughs> team. Uh, and I'd like to thank the head coach, the CEO and the consortium for allowing me to, uh, to be on your <laughs> podcast today.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Well done, gentlemen. Uh, fantastic showing on Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight this weekend. And that's the second tier podcast wrapped up for the weekend. We'll be back again on Thursday to go through the handful of midweek games that are coming up in the Championship. So we look forward to seeing you then. Quick thank you to our guests on the show this week. Ben James from the Cardiff Podcast. For you from the Ninian, thank you for your time today. Thanks for having me on. Carlo Fanswatering from Barnsley Podcast. Red Report, thank you for your time today. Pleasure as always. Thank you. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening.